Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that we've just heard read. This scene of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, a shocking, horrific, terrible event that happened, and yet a wonderful and beautiful and necessary event. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, and we pray that as we explore uh, just one particular verse in this passage, that you would speak to us through it. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Lord, we open our hearts and ask you to speak to each and every one of us. You know us. We thank you that you know our hearts. Please come and, and change us to be more like Jesus, that he would be glorified in our lives. Amen. Well, friends, it is only seven weeks until Easter, the greatest festival on the Christian calendar, the time when we remember and we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Of course, it's not only the greatest event on the Christian calendar, but it is the greatest event in all of history. Because at the cross, there Jesus dies to pay the price for sin to rescue us from hell, and to give us eternal life with him. Over the next seven weeks or so, we're going to be meditating on certain words, final sayings of Jesus that are spoken by him when he is upon the cross. And you'll see them on the screen behind me. All of these final words of Jesus, they reveal so much about God. They tell us about his character. Remember that everything that Jesus says when he's upon the cross, spoken by him in the midst of terrible physical pain and agony as he's crucified, it's in the context of just complete abandonment, it seems, by everybody around him who hates him so much. And of course, as we'll see in a few weeks, it's in the, the setting of him being spiritually deserted by his heavenly father. So words filled with such love and compassion show us that our God truly is great and glorious and good and gracious. There can't be a complete understanding of God's character without the cross because at the cross we have Jesus in all his glory. Our famous four G's that we looked at in January, are seen most powerfully at the cross, this central and pivotal point and event of human history. And so this morning, the saying of Jesus on the cross that we're looking at is the one we read today. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness. This morning, I want us to See that forgiveness is amazing, pure and simple. A small gang of teenagers bought a nine-kilogram frozen turkey with a stolen credit card. They got in their car and they drove around the streets of their neighborhood. Coming the other way along the road was a, a woman called Victoria Rovolo. She was just streets away from her house. And as the two cars passed along the road, one of the 18-year-old boys threw the frozen turkey out of the car window. It smashed right through the windscreen of Victoria's car and hit her directly in the face. 
She woke up a month later in hospital after undergoing several rounds of surgery. Every bone had been broken. She was bruised and swollen. She had three plates implanted in her cheek and could only breathe through tubes. The doctors said that it was a miracle that she even survived. A few months after that, Victoria heard that the boy responsible for throwing the turkey was going to get 25 years in prison. Well, she spoke to his lawyer. She spoke to the judge on the trial, and she asked for mercy for the boy, or at least a reduced sentence. So for her, after coming to terms with her situation, which took a long time, after making peace with God, after being so angry, she wanted to forgive this boy. And at the sentencing, she turned up and she hugged the boy. Instead of 25 years, he got six months and five years probation. How do you respond to a story like that? You might gasp such a terrible event that took place. We may marvel at a woman's humility and love. We might think, man, I could not forgive like that. I'm sure we're certainly moved. Like we always are when we hear incredible stories of forgiveness. Because to forgive doesn't come easy. It's not natural in our human sinful condition. If someone wrongs us, what we want is revenge. But in our passage this morning, we're not thinking about humans forgiving humans. We're thinking about God. The ultimate story of forgiveness, the story that all other stories of forgiveness are built upon, here God forgiving humans. Jesus asks his heavenly father to forgive his persecutors. And I want us to see that God's forgiveness is amazing. It's amazing, and so we can rejoice because we don't deserve it. It's amazing because Jesus paid such a high price, the highest price. And it's amazing because it's for everybody, everybody who believes. God's forgiveness is amazing, but yet there might be people here this morning who find it difficult to receive God's forgiveness. What about you and God's offer of forgiveness? Maybe you know that you don't deserve God's forgiveness. You feel that your sin is just too great. It's too much. Surely when God says he forgives, he doesn't mean me. Perhaps you find it difficult to receive forgiveness because actually you don't think you need it. You don't think that your actions and behavior in life warrant an apology to God. You're not like the boy in the story. Compared to him, you're a very good person. So why do you need forgiveness? Or maybe you are someone who knows you do need forgiveness, but you just don't appreciate it. Perhaps you've been a Christian for many, many years, and the story of forgiveness is so familiar to you. It's lost its wonder. I pray this morning that as we explore this passage, and this one verse in particular, that we will see that we really do need God's forgiveness, that we will rejoice as we see what Jesus did to give it. 
and that all of us would respond in faith and repentance, gladly receiving a wonderful gift. Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness is amazing because we don't deserve it. I don't know if you ever looked at that verse and wondered. I can see that these people need forgiving. They're crucifying Jesus. But how can he say they don't know what they're doing? Because surely it's obvious they really do know what they're doing. And Luke makes it clear in Luke 22 and 23 by describing to us lots of different types of people and how they're treating Jesus. If you flick back over the page to chapter 22, Jesus has been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, verse 54. He's then led away to the high priest for this illegal trial that takes place. Verse 63, we see him being mocked. He's beaten by the gods. He's falsely accused by the chief priests and the teachers of the law in chapter 23. They question him and falsely accuse him. He's sent back to Pilate and and Pilate's a bit of a wimp and he condemns him to death for committing no crime. And in verse 20, you have the crowds begging for his blood as they shout, crucify him, crucify him. And it seems that everybody is against this Jesus. The Jewish leaders, the Jewish crowds, the Roman leaders and the Roman soldiers. And then in verse 33 of our passage today, Jesus is taken to the place called the skull and they're crucified. He's nailed hands and feet to a wooden cross. Its final purpose to cause death by suffocation. Then skip to the second half of verse 34. The Roman soldiers divided his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers sneered at him. They said he saves others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. Even the Roman soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And yet in the midst of all of that, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. But they're killing the Messiah, God's chosen king. They're murdering the Son of God. But yet the Bible tells us they don't fully get this. They haven't understood who Jesus really is. The religious leaders perhaps have heard it. They know Jesus' claims, but they refuse to believe that he's the Messiah. And what they don't know is as, as they're condemning Jesus to death, they're fulfilling God's promise. Do you know that? When we get to the book of Acts, Peter and other apostles are preaching, and in chapter 3, Peter preaches to the crowd. And after describing this scene of crucifixion and the way the people had treated Jesus, he says, Fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leader. He's saying to the people there, You were there shouting, Crucify him. And Peter says, but this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through the prophets. The Messiah would suffer. Paul says the same thing in Acts chapter 13. 
the people of Jerusalem, the leaders, they didn't recognize Jesus. But yet in condemning him, they were fulfilling the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. So on the one hand, all those who were involved in Jesus' death, they were guilty, very much guilty for their actions. There's no excuse. But on the other hand, they hadn't fully comprehended that in killing Jesus, they are fulfilling God's plan. Can you imagine what it would have been like for people on the day of Pentecost when Peter preaches his first sermon? There they are, and Peter's saying, you murdered the Messiah. Did they need forgiveness? Yes. But do we need forgiveness? We weren't there. We didn't nail him to the cross. Jesus' death was not a tragic accident. The wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time. But he was the God-man dying. Dying a death that's due to every man and every woman. God's promise that the Messiah would suffer was that so he could pay the price for sin. Sin of the whole world. Do you notice who it is that Jesus is praying to? Who does he ask to forgive? Father. It's our Heavenly Father to whom we have sinned against. It's not just because we've broken a few rules that we need forgiving. It's firstly and fundamentally a personal and a relational matter. We have rebelled against our Heavenly Father, our loving Creator God. God is personal. He loves us. He's made us. And yet we have shamed him. We have hurt him. We have brought great dishonor to him. Just like the son who took his father's inheritance and went away and squandered it in Luke 15. So we too. He didn't deserve God's, his father's forgiveness and we don't deserve our heavenly father's forgiveness. People have often pondered, if I was there on that day at the crucifixion, would I have been in the crowd shouting, crucify him? Would I have been the one holding the hammer and the nails? Or would I have been one beating him and insulting him with such hatred? And I hate to know the answer to that question. But yet, amidst it all, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. But how can God forgive how is forgiveness even possible? <clears throat> forgiveness is amazing because Jesus paid the highest price. In the religion of Islam, Muslims don't believe that Jesus really died. Or if he did, he certainly didn't die to pay the price for sin. Forgiveness from Allah is, is earned. Salvation is when your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. But actually, it's worse than that because Forgiveness isn't even guaranteed for a Muslim. Final acceptance into heaven is, well, it's just at the whim of God. It simply depends on how he feels. Muslims have often asked me, why did Jesus have to die? Why can't he just forgive? That's what Allah does. But it doesn't work. And it actually reveals big flaws or big problems in a character of a God like that. Because the Bible tells us that 
You can't just forgive. God's perfect justice won't allow it. Sin has to be punished. Death is due to everyone, and rightly so. God would not be God if he allowed sin to go unpunished. And we know that. We have this inbuilt sense of justice, don't we? But yet God's love, God's perfect love, doesn't want humanity to have to pay the price because it would mean eternal separation from him. And so at the cross, and as we sung earlier, we see this wonderful meeting of God's wrath and justice meeting God's perfect love and mercy. As Jesus, God himself, stands in our place, bearing the punishment that we deserve, taking the wrath that should be for us. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Isn't forgiveness amazing? How can God forgive sin? Well, as Jesus asks God, his Father, to to forgive, he is in the very process of making it possible. Because it is only through the death of Jesus. There was no other way. It's only through his death. It's only through the shedding of blood. And as you read through the Old Testament, you get that illustrated for us, don't, don't we? In, in, in the Old Testament sacrifices, people brought bulls and, and blood sacrifices for forgiveness. And yet in the New Testament, after Jesus, we read in Hebrews that Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. Hebrews 9 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Remember Jesus on the night that he is betrayed. The day before the crucifixion, he's in the upper room with his disciples and he takes the cup. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For what? For the forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. Famous 19th century American preacher said this about forgiveness. He said, Forgiveness is release. It is signed in tears, sealed in blood. It's written on heavenly parchment, recorded in eternal archives. The black ink of indictment is written all over with the red ink of the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Amazing? Friends, forgiveness is possible because Jesus died for you. But let me ask you the question, have you received it? Will you receive God's forgiveness that he offers to everybody? Because it is for everyone who believes. What about those men who were there on that day crucifying Jesus to the cross? The crowds, the leaders. Jesus asks his father to forgive them. But does he? Does God forgive It's an interesting question to ask. There they are, the Romans, the Jews, both leaders and followers, all responsible for the death of Jesus. And yet, did he forgive? 
Next week, we're going to look at the rest of this passage, and we'll see the thief on the cross, the first example of God forgiving. But when I think of this question, I always think of the Roman centurion in Mark 15. Do you remember that passage? A man who is as guilty as everybody else, he's there playing his part in the crucifixion. Maybe he's there rolling the dice, trying to win the garments of Jesus. And yet Mark tells us that when he saw how Jesus died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Was he forgiven at that moment? Earlier on, I quoted from some passages in the book of Acts, where the apostles are preaching the gospel. They're talking about this event. They tell people of how they crucified their Messiah. They weren't shy at casting blame of the people in the crowds, even those who were just shouting. And yet every time they preached the gospel, there was always an invitation, an invitation to repent, to come and believe. Think about that first sermon on Pentecost. Peter preaches and then he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. 3,000 became Christians that day. Again, in chapter 3, he preaches of their ignorance, yet he says, repent, so your sins can be wiped away. What about people like Paul? Paul wasn't always a believer, remember? He was a persecutor of Christians. He was there when Stephen was stoned to death. He stood there approving of it. And Stephen, that first martyr, as he was being stoned, he fell to his knees and he cried out, just as Jesus did on the cross, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He was praying for people like Saul who were standing there. And yet in the next chapter, we see Jesus meeting Saul on the road to Damascus. And Saul is forgiven. And Paul goes on and he preaches the gospel and, and he invites people. He says, I want you to know that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. God forgives sins, the greatest of sins. He offers forgiveness. And this morning, forgiveness is offered to you. We might not have been there on that day, but we are as guilty as they. Because we are all made and loved by the one God. And he desires none to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. And so will you accept his forgiveness? Or are you someone who feels the guilt of your sin? You know your heart, you know your life. You know that had you been there, you would have been in the crowd. You would have been shouting. And because of that, you struggle to receive God's forgiveness. You feel too unworthy. You feel that God doesn't love you, that the cross is not enough to cover your sin. I like the words of Billy Graham who said that in these days of guilty complexes, perhaps the most glorious word in the English language, is forgiveness. Forgiveness is amazing. Simply because through faith in Christ, we can have it. No matter who you are or what you've done, forgiveness is not about you and not about what you've done, but about what he has done 
on the cross. So take your eyes off yourself and lift them to Jesus. Jesus who stretched out his hands in love. And who, as Isaiah and Peter tell us, committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. He didn't need forgiving. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he trusted himself to the one who judges justly. He bore our sins on his, in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. No more offense. No more judgment to come. Debt canceled. Shame taken away. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. When we compare ourselves to Jesus, to a righteous, holy God, none of us can say we don't deserve, or we don't need, sorry, forgiveness. And we live in a world, don't we, that so desperately needs to hear this message? A culture where right now, although they have turned away from God, disbelieve, don't think that they are responsible or accountable to God, and yet there is still this sense of guilt in so many people's lives. Not a guilt against God, but a guilt against other people for the things that we do wrong to one another. It's really interesting that when you think of how many songs are sung by our modern day, or not say modern day, pop stars, the theme is forgiveness. Usually it's asking for forgiveness from an estranged partner for things they've done wrong. But as you read the lyrics, you see a vulnerableness, an openness to confess, a need for redemption. I wanted to quote a song for you, but I couldn't find one that was decent enough that expressed true seeking of forgiveness. But I wonder, I was thinking about this, I wonder as people live their lives more and more away from God and his good and perfect ordained plan that is best for us, messing it up, how much more will forgiveness be something that people long for? Broken relationships scatter the landscape, both inside and outside of the church. And people long for forgiveness to be free from the guilt and the shame. But will they find it? If you know forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have something that is amazing. So may we be so touched and overwhelmed by his forgiveness that we speak of its freedom, of its joy, of the peace of knowing complete forgiveness in Jesus. Let me finish with a, a second half of a very familiar story. Many of us will have heard of the great sacrifice made by men like Jim Elliot and Nate Saint, Peter Fleming and two other men, as they were speared to death trying to reach the tribes in the Ecuadorian jungle. These men never got to preach the gospel to their murderers. They're elevated as wonderful examples of martyrdom. But how many of us know what happened next? Because they went there with their families, their wives, their children, 
Did they pack up and go home? Did they fight back in anger and bitterness? One of the men, Nate Saint's sister, his son Steve, two other of the widows moved into the village where the Wadani tribe lived. And they told them that God had a son who was speared so that we all might know forgiveness. Many of that tribe became believers. And today, Steve Saint, one of the sons of the men killed, and Micaiah, one of the men responsible for his murder, are now as close as father and son. Forgiveness is amazing. It's only possible because of God's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. A message the world needs to hear, a message that we need to hear. And we have the wonderful privilege of passing it on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, for his great sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for his love and compassion and humility that in the midst of pain and suffering and hatred, he would dare to pray, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. What that shows us about who you are proves to us that you are such a wonderful God, a God who does love, a God who does care, a God who has done something about it, about our world, about sin. And I pray this morning for each of us, wherever we are with you, whatever our thoughts and understanding of, of forgiveness, that you would be at work within us, that we would humble ourselves before you to receive your forgiveness, that you would show us afresh the greatness and wonder of it, and that you would empower us with the joy of it, to share it with those that we see. Please be exalted, be glorified as we worship you today. Amen.